someone was recently asking me, what do I love most about being an investor? And the thing I think I love the most is that you end up surrounding yourself with people who are inspired, who are ambitious and work super hard. And I, I think that, that there, there's no greater gift for us than to be able to surround yourself day in, day out with people who are those attributes. This is Found in the Rockies, a podcast about the startup ecosystem in the Rocky Mountain region, featuring the founders, funders, and contributors, and most importantly, the stories of what they're building. I'm Les Craig from Next Frontier Capital, and on today's episode, we have Natty Zola, who is a Techstars founder, travel startup ever later. He's the former managing director of Techstars Boulder, and now is an investor and partner at Matchstick Ventures. Hey, Natty, welcome to Found in the Rockies. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for uh, coming on the show today. We're super excited to talk to you about... Uh, I mean, you've done it all in the Rockies. You are a founder and a funder, and you've been a contributor. You're still a contributor. You're always a contributor. But uh, there's so much to talk about today. We're really excited to have you on the show. Thanks. Excited to be here. Why don't you? Uh, why don't you start out? Uh, I'd love for you to just kind of talk, kind of the origin story. You know, where you where you grew up and kind of how you got to uh, got to where you are today. Sure thing. Yeah, so I'm I'm from the Rockies, born and raised in Boulder, Colorado. Super lucky to be in such a great ecosystem for my childhood. Grew up in a family of teachers and social workers. Didn't have a ton of business experience or exposure growing up. Went to school on the East Coast at the University of Maryland. I went there for a few reasons, but uh, the main ones were they had a good engineering program and a bad track team. And I wanted to run track in college, and I thought I wanted to do engineering um, or architecture. And so I went out to the East Coast. I also didn't know many people on the East Coast. Most of my family's from the Midwest and West Coast. So I went out there, ended up with a degree in finance, and went and worked at GE um, in their financial management program out of college in the New York City area, which was great. Left that after two years to do a round-the-world trip with my childhood best friend because we'd made some money for the first time in our lives and wanted to travel. So we did that. The recession of 2008 happened. And we basically, the jobs that we thought we were going back to disappeared. And we realized at that point, we kind of were like doing jobs that really didn't fit our ethos. We were more builders and creators. And so we ended up moving back to Boulder because we could live in our parents' basements, teach ourselves how to code and start a company. So in 2008, we moved back to Boulder, spent 12 months in our parents' basements, teaching ourselves how to code and started a company called Everlater. That company went through Techstars here in Boulder. So that was uh, an amazing entry to the ecosystem here. Um, we raised capital from uh, within the ecosystem from Highway 12 Ventures out of Idaho and scaled that company with a lot of ups and downs, which we can talk about, but eventually sold it to AOL in 2012. And really through that experience, fell in love with entrepreneurship, feel like we had the masterclass of, you know, total pivots, ups and downs, et cetera. Um, worked at MapQuest out of Denver because they merged our software in into MapQuest, which was owned by AOL ran um, consumer products for MapQuest, which is a whole another story which we could talk about, but eventually got a call from Techstars who said they were looking for a new managing director for the Accelerator in Boulder, which I had gone through and asked if I would apply. I realized this was my dream job. I, got to, yeah. I would get to work with early stage entrepreneurs and sort of learn how to invest. I ended up getting the job, which was amazing, and ended up running the Techstars Boulder Accelerator for six years. And then I was working with all these founders and they were saying, Natty, you're super helpful. We appreciate all the connections and insights and experience. It'd be great if you could write a bigger check. So I teamed up with another colleague at Techstars, Ryan Brocher, who's in Minneapolis. 
and uh, joined up with him at Matchstick Ventures. And so we are now on our third fund where we've, we're raising capital to deploy into entrepreneurs um, in our regions, which we can talk about that as well. I left Techstars in 2020 and am full-time on Matchstick since then. So that's the super quick version of, of how I got here. So founder, funder, and contributor in the- There it is. Zone. There it is. All wow. right. This episode's a wrap. No, we got to peel back. <laughs> There's some great stuff to peel back there. So I love, I love the, you, 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 you mentioned this kind of quickly, but you, this was a childhood best friend uh, that you, and you, did you go, did you guys go to school together or just work together in Wall Street? We went to elementary school together, but didn't go to middle school, high school, or college together. But then we're both working in the New York area in finance. And we were friends throughout that whole journey. But I feel like like really kind of rekindled that friendship while working in New York together. For sure. Wow. He's that's... also named Nathaniel. So we're both Nathaniels. So that's oh, part of the reason why I go by Natty. He goes by Nate. Oh, and actually interesting. If you were around Colorado in the 2008 to 2012 period, People would just call us the Nadies because it was like they couldn't tell, like, remember who's Natty, who's Nate. And so, you know, uh, it's a fun cool. story from the yeah, past. When you're childhood best friends, it's like you got to you just gravitate. Oh, you're the same name as me. I guess we can be friends. Right. Is that exactly. <laughs> Very cool. And so uh, what was what was it like going from, you know, an early, you know, successful career in finance to becoming a founder? I mean, that's quite a quite a leap to take. Um and to and to and to come up, come home, right? To come back to back to Boulder. Yeah. I think for us, we just realized that we were we wanted to create and build. And I think that what we while we were really interested in finance, because I think it's just really fascinating how money moves about and how like capital finds opportunities. I think we just realized like we were kids from the Rockies, from Colorado, and just wanted to build and create things. And so we had had this great travel experience but had struggled to document and record and share it in the early social mm -hmm. media days. And that was the problem we ended up starting out solving, which was you have all these social networks, but when you go on a travel experience, you want to, you want to retain those photos, those stories, those tweets, those maps in within a wrapper, you still want them to go to your social networks, but you want to have a container around them. So you could remember that maybe mm -hmm. even have a printed photo book. So we built all this software that enabled you to easily document a travel experience which was solving our own problem from that round the world trip. Um, and then connecting it into social networks, making a printed photo book. We did a bunch of really clever offline app, uh, built some apps in early app days. And so we were really solving our own problem and we want to build and create things for an industry that we loved. And so that's, it was sort of out of, I don't know, wanting to create and build that, yeah. that sent us on the path to teach ourselves how to code and, and start a company. And, it was nice to have that finance and business background to bring to it. But I will say that, ironically, the biggest mistake we made in, in our entrepreneurial journey was not thinking about the business side soon enough. Mm -hmm. Because for us, the biggest challenge was, here's two non-technical entrepreneurs. We, we over-indexed on, could we build product? Could we solve the engineering challenges? And didn't spend enough time really thinking about, where's the business model here? And, and is this something customers really want? Which is slightly embarrassing to admit from you know finance majors who had worked in in finance in, in finance in New York, but I found that is a common trait of entrepreneurs is you, you know maybe you overcompensate for a weakness which we thought sure. was like product and engineering for us and and frankly we kind of wasted you know our first round of capital by not really figuring out is there a business model around this this product we were building. Uh, I've been there and done that as well myself, yeah. so totally uh, totally empathize there. What um. 
I mean, it seems it seems fascinating to me too the timing of like when you decided to move. I mean, obviously you're from Boulder. I imagine that had more to do with the decision to come back to Boulder than what was sort of going on at the time. But can you kind of take us back to 2008, 2009? Like, what was Boulder like? And because TechStars is pretty new, right? Like, take us back. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was really out of necessity that we moved to Boulder because we didn't have any money and we needed to code. And luckily, we had supportive parents who were welcomed us to live with them. I actually lived with my parents for the first two and a half years of my startup, which I recognize is, is certainly a, a privileged position to be in, but also you know, a big sacrifice we made when you're in your early to mid 20s living with your parents. I did end up meeting my wife during that phase. You know, bless her, bless her heart. But um, she'd come yeah. over for dinner with the family and yeah. she met the parents very <laughs> right early away. In relationship. Um, That's great. Yeah, it was really out of necessity, but it was also an amazing way to run a company. Like my family was involved in the journey and they got to see us build and learn how to code and start to get do sales. And I think that was a, a really cool thing to have happen. But, but your question around what was Colorado like at that time in Boulder was, gosh, we, we, were, we were lucky. I mean, there was, there was this emerging entrepreneurial ecosystem really around, led by a lot of community, community leaders, um, including Techstars, Foundry Group, Andrew Hyde, a bunch of these people who were just creating this very collaborative, very give first, which has become a very big motto for Colorado. And I think this whole region, give first centered mindset where there were people coming out of the woodwork, helping us left and right, expecting nothing in return, um, which was just an incredible environment to build a company around, especially, you know, for, for first time entrepreneurs, there's so much you don't know. Mm -hmm. So being a, being, having this access to great folks who showed up every day to help advise us, it could have, it was everyone from tech stars and the foundry group helping us think about capital raising and capital formation to we were coding in Ruby. There was this incredible Ruby community who basically like took us under their wing and taught us how to program and, you know, helped us make early hires and things like that. Like it was just so collaborative. And I still think that's the case here in Colorado. And what I'm most proud of, I think of this ecosystem, and it really is the whole region is that instead of competition, we, we collaborate and we, and we, and we rise, raise each other up. And there still is this give first mindset where if you ask anyone for help, I mean, within reason, you know, they're there to help you. And um, sure. we wouldn't have been able to do it without that. And so that that's actually, frankly, why I'm still invested in this ecosystem and want to be an investor. We only invest in companies in the Rockies and North regions of the U.S. because we like that ethos and think mm -hmm. it's, you know, it resonates for us. And at the end of the day, we could deploy our capital anywhere, but we want to deploy it into an ethos and a community that we believe in. Um, and that's the case. For sure. I'll tell you, it's one thing that we consistently hear uh, on the podcast is, is how great, uh, you know, not only Colorado and, and, and the greater Colorado ecosystem is, but, but the Rockies in general. So I think that's very consistent. It's good to hear you say that. Um, what, uh, what was it like, you know, coming out of Techstars uh, when you did um, just access to capital? Like, did you find it? I mean, you guys got funded, but what, what was it like for you along with everyone else kind of in your cohort? Yeah. Um, well, the funny story here is SendGrid was in my cohort. And I, I always joke that if I had, if I was really as smart as I thought I was, I would have instantly shut down Everlater and joined SendGrid as the first employee because that was the real rocket ship. But I wasn't that smart. Um, <laughs> in terms of access to capital, you know, it's, it's changed a lot over the last 12 years. And that was a phase where there was sort of the early institutionalization of, of seed capital. Mm -hmm. And 
we we were lucky. We didn't actually think we were going to raise money, but we we met Mark Solon at Highway 12 Ventures, and he was. We just felt such resonance with him. He he believed in our mission, and so we took capital because we wanted to work with him. And so we were really lucky to find an investor that we really resonated with for many reasons. And so that's how we raised our capital. My 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 sense of the ecosystem at that time was it was really dominated by coastal firms. There was not a ton of seed capital. You had uh, you had Bullet Time Ventures, which was early tech stars. You had Foundry Group in the ecosystem. And, and a bunch of, and, and a, maybe a few other firms, Access Ventures, but there was not a ton of seed capital. Mm. And I think the challenge was um, the seed capital that was there was sort of unidimensional in the sense that you would always get this question, hey, did Bradfeld invest from coastal investors? Because they sort of had this impression that Foundry Group was was cherry picking all the best deals in the so region. So there was like a big signaling, case. right? Yeah. Big signaling risk, which was not yeah. the case. They, they just happened to invest in some stuff here and we're investing sure. nationally, but that was the impression. That's changed a ton now where I remember being at Denver Startup Week, I think it was 2019, and we had this event where we had sort of a, re a reverse pitch where VCs were pitching to startups, and there were 39 funds pitching to startups. We didn't expect this. We sort of expected that the first 15 minutes would be funds pitching to entrepreneurs. So many funds were there. They were all local funds, anywhere from $1 million in assets under management, probably up to $50 million. But I had this like realization that the big change that happened over the 10 years from 2008 to 2018 was that you had a ton of seed capital, local seed capital emerge in our regions. And I think that's one of the best scenarios you can have for a region because you need a, a lot of diverse investor perspectives, funding a lot of different things so that it becomes a really vibrant entrepreneurial ecosystem where the challenge in 2008 was there just was not that many sources of capital. I'm not saying it's easy to raise money today, but it's, you're, it probably is easier and there certainly is more of it. And so mm -hmm. that's one thing I'm really excited about for the region is that you have a ton of seed capital. We still tend to need to go to the coast for series A and beyond, but that's mm -hmm. also changing. Next Frontier is super active in that phase, which is great. Um, but, you know, it was it was back then, I think it was just sort of harder because there weren't that many funders. That makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. So you you. You got it done, uh, and and were able to kind of get you. You guys did at uh, Everlater. You raised was it two rounds of funding? Two rounds, yep. Right, and then eventually, uh, as you mentioned, got acquired uh, by MapQuest. Uh, what was what was that like? Take us take us on that ride a little further. Yeah, we we had we we sort of had this relation early relationship with MapQuest with the, the leadership team at MapQuest because one one of our strategies as entrepreneurs was. We wanted to be well known across our industry. We wanted everyone to say, "Hey, Nate and Natty, those guys are onto something." Or even if they aren't onto something, like they're out and about and and super known in the community. And that helped us a lot through the acquisition process because we ended up with a situation where we had multiple acquisition offers, which was really helpful. We ended up choosing to go with MapQuest because we really aligned with their vision, which was to turn around MapQuest from this core utility product to be more of a travel experiential product from not just are we going to get you from A to B, but we're going to layer in a bunch of interesting content and recommendations along the route. And what was super fun was when we got into MapQuest, the leadership team there valued our insights and kind of gave us the keys to say, hey, let's let's turn this around together. And I think it's a good lesson in how to do an acquisition well, mm -hmm. which was they really valued our technology, they valued our team, they valued our insights. And we together turned around MapQuest for a while. We we yeah. got it profitable for the first time in 14 years. That's we cool. got we grew traffic for the first time in 15 years. We rebuilt products. We had this 
amazing culture shift. And so I had a great time there. And maybe that's just my mindset, which is kind of wherever I go, I'm going to have a good time and, and do my best. And so we really loved it um, and, and are grateful to to AOL and MapQuest for for trusting us with with that experience. Yeah, got to got to savor the journey for sure. That's that's awesome. I you know, I was just thinking about this as you were telling that story. Some of our uh, you know, y- younger listeners might not realize, well, first of all, AOL was like the original way you connected to the internet, right? right. And uh, and MapQuest was like before there was iPhones or mobile mobile anything. MapQuest was like how you got turn by turn directions via the internet. Like this was like the leader well, in the category, was, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, people, people still say they MapQuest it. I mean, it's a little bit generational yeah. divide <laughs> there, but when we were there, they were printing something like 50 million maps a month were getting printed still. Uh-huh. I mean, this is 2012. So it was, it was not as, as, um, it was as relevant, I would say brand wise as competitors like Google. Mm-hmm. but the technology hadn't kept up. And that was a right. fun opportunity to come in and say, you know, how do we innovate in a space where maybe we're, maybe we're the brand, we're a, uh, we're a well-known brand, but we don't have the same capabilities te- technologically. And how mm-hmm. do you turn around a product, which was a great experience. Yeah. And I'm so glad you share that story. Cause I think, you know, I, I know since I've known you, I've known you as, you know, the, the text, the managing director of Techstars in Boulder. And I think it's always fun to, to share those stories of, you know, how, how you got there. So thank you for doing that. You're welcome. <laughs> what, so, so now tell us about, I mean, you were, you were with Techstars for six years, right? I mean, that's, Correct. that's a, that's quite a run. Uh, like I said, I loved I, it. Yeah. yeah. What, uh, what are just some takeaways or just some growth areas for you during that six years? Like, how did you, how did you, you know, take full advantage of that, that awesome opportunity? Yeah. Well, I, I was so grateful to get the opportunity in the first place because, I, I felt like I wasn't sure that I was qualified for it, frankly. Like I had done the entrepreneurial thing. I had experienced tech stars, but my exit wasn't this huge home run. It was, mm-hmm. it was good, but it wasn't a huge home run. Mm-hmm. And I was, I think I was 30 maybe when I, when I got the job. And at that time I was the young, one of the youngest, I think I was the youngest managing director they'd ever hired. And I was like, oh my God, you know, don't screw this up. It really <laughs> was going through my head because it was this incredible ecosystem that was churning out incredible companies was what had this incredible mentor network. And I really was, was afraid of screwing it up, honestly, which is, you know, I feel, I think how a lot of entrepreneurs feel, which is, you know, I don't know, especially taking on money, like don't screw it up. So I, I really kind of went into it initially from a mindset of fear, which quickly shifted for me to realize like how lucky I was to be in it because I thought at that time I had had great role models as investors. I thought I might be a good investor eventually, and this was my shot to like give it a like learn from some mm-hmm. of the best and get to work with entrepreneurs. And so I just took full advantage of it. I worked my tail off for those six years um, and had a ton of fun doing it. And I think what it taught me was that I'm I think I'm a good player, but I might be a better coach or supporter, mm-hmm. which is why I love being in the investing role I'm in right now, because I get to bring the founder experience I had as an entrepreneur and that roller coaster and marry it with what turned out at Techstars to be really high volume investing and getting to see a lot of companies. Like I invested in 64 companies over five and a half years, which is pretty high volume, looked at probably 10,000 companies over that period. So that's incredible. It was, I mean, uh, one of the best learning experiences you could ever have um, and really like helped me feel confident taking on the level of, of capital we've taken on now at Matchstick to say, I think I know how to do this. 
I know I, you know, I know I can help entrepreneurs that I sure. like, pro like proved myself, which was most important. I think I know how to make good decisions as an investor. Or at least I've done a bunch of it now. Let's see if I can do it at a bigger scale, which was the challenge for me at Ma uh, Matchstick now. Yeah. Amazing. Uh, any, are there any sort of inspiring, uh, you know, kind of founder stories or turnaround stories or any, anything that sticks out from your, I'm sure there's a lot and maybe it's an unfair question to ask, but I'd love if, if you have any stories that stick out of like, you know, just inspiration or turnaround or like sticking it through anything come to mind in terms of the entrepreneurs working. That yeah, I've worked with? exactly. I mean, I could literally give you every single entrepreneur I've worked with, you know, has an inspiring story. I mean, that's, right. I mean you know, this, like the lucky yeah. part of our job is we get to work with people who are just inspiring, you know, and, yeah, and are exactly. willing to like overcome all the odds. And I think someone was recently asking me, what do I love most about being an investor? And the thing I think I love the most is that you end up surrounding yourself with people who are inspired, who are ambitious and work super hard. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that that there, there's no greater gift for us than to be able to surround yourself day in, day out with people who are those attributes. And I think, um, that may be one of the biggest takeaways for me from working at Techstars was I want to surround myself with those people, that kind of talent and that kind of motivation and that kind of hustle every day. And that's what we get to do as, a, as investors. Um, that's right. and so maybe not a specific story, but that general, Mm -hmm. Like the feeling I got from all the entrepreneurs that I got to work with is what motivated me to want to keep doing this because they are the ones who inspire me to keep going. And, and I just love surrounding myself with that energy. For sure. Uh, I totally, I feel, feel very similar to that, that feeling. Yeah. What, um, what, would, what about the decision to actually, you know, do, do, do the investor thing full time. And, and I mean, you had been working with Ryan at matchstick for a few years prior to that decision, but can you talk to us a little bit about that, that evolution? Yeah, it was a really tough decision to leave Techstars because I love that experience and I love that community and that team. But ultimately, we were raising more and more money at Matchstick and I felt like the learning curve for me was slightly higher there. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, could I raise institutional capital? Could I run a fund? Could we deploy and write bigger checks? Could we build a brand and a franchise? I, a lot of that stuff was sort of done for me at Techstars mm -hmm. and I wanted to like do all that and learn all of that and be great at all of that. And so it, it was kind of the next mountain for me to climb and, and, and so it was a tough decision to leave and, and put all of our chips into, into matchstick. It was also frankly a time where I was doing two jobs more than full time running Techstars and matchstick. I had yeah. two young kids at the time. Well, I still have two young kids, but I, <laughs> My kids were very young at that time. And, mm -hmm. and it was, I don't know, I'm kind of wired to do a lot and work a lot. Like I love it. And so, but, it, but it, I wanted to make some tougher decisions and prioritize family as well. Mm -hmm. And maybe I think I'm just wired this way. Cause I, I don't know that I've actually done that to be honest. Like I think I'm better at prioritizing my family, but largely a lot of the time that I put into Techstars, I've just now transitioned into matchstick because I, I love the entrepreneurs we work with and I'm just kind of wired that way. But at least now I have sort of a singular focus on one entity and making it great sure. where I, you know, it's hard to do one thing super, super great, you know, and then, and I was doing two and I, and I think I was managing it, but at some point, like I wanted to go all in on something and, and that's what I did with matchstick.
That makes sense. And what, uh, remind me, is match, is it, this, you're on your third fund now? Is that third is that fund? Right? Yep. Just recently closed that, I think. Is that, yeah, closed yep. in July of last year, 2021. Yeah. Yep. So about a year old. Yeah. Great. Um, tell, tell us about the evolution of Matchstick to the current fund in terms of how the strategy has evolved and, yeah. So from fund one to today, a lot of, there's some things that have stayed consistent and some things that have changed. So the things that have stayed consistent is we've always been backing entrepreneurs in the Rockies and North regions of the U S mm-hmm. we know there are great entrepreneurs everywhere. That's kind of was our thesis when by both my colleague at text, uh, matchstick Ryan, who's, um, was also at Techstars with me. We've just always believed in backing entrepreneurs off the coast. We love the work ethic, the hustle underdog mentality, um, we feel like we have a, an advantage in terms of helping those companies. And frankly, we just, I don't know, more fun to fund stuff in our own backyards. So mm-hmm. that has stayed consistent across funds. We've also, also always invested at pre-seed or seed. So this is anywhere from idea to call it maybe 2 million in revenue. You know, those are sort of moving goalposts throughout different cycles, what that actually means. But we're happy to invest early. So we've always done that. So geographic lens, stage lens, and we've always done software. So we, we mm-hmm. have not done hardware. We don't do med devices. We don't do biotech. We don't do direct to consumer product companies. We've been very, very consistent around software. So those things have changed. What is, or sorry, have been the same. The things that have changed has been, um, we've increased the fund size. So our first fund was 5 million. That was sort of a proof of concept. Mm -hmm. Then we went 30 million for fund two and fund three is 55 million. So what's exciting about that is we're able to write bigger checks and deploy Mm -hmm. more money into companies, which we find is helpful. Um, the thing that we want to be very careful about is one of our, our core values is really being collaborative with other funders in the in our markets. Mm-hmm. And so we feel like we're kind of at that stage where we can write a big enough check, but we don't have to write the whole round. And so we can be very collaborative. Um, so while the fund size has changed and our ability to write bigger checks has changed, we've tried to keep that collaborative mindset mm-hmm. uh, throughout. Do you, um, do you find yeah. with your portfolio, because this is another theme that uh, I think especially especially with some of the... VCs that we've had on on the podcast, a lot of them mention this, and I'm curious what your take is. It is it is it because is this strategy important because it's good for the company, or is it better for just the ecosystem or both or what? Like what just just any thoughts both. on that? Yeah, I think it's both. I mean, I, I, kind of going back to what I said earlier, I think a, a strength of our ecosystems is the collaborative nature of it, mm-hmm. and so if that's the strength, then. If you believe in that as a as a strength, then you kind of want to have that in all aspects of what you're doing. And so it's it's great for us. I mean, this happens all the time where maybe an entrepreneur we're helping needs help in one area. We may not be experts at that, but maybe someone else who's at the table is. And so it just brings a whole nother set of expertise, a whole nother network to the table. So we just believe in surrounding entrepreneurs with as much help as possible. And mm-hmm. if that means two, three, four, five funds plus a bunch of angels. We tend to think that's better. I think the challenge happens for entrepreneurs and that can be many stakeholders to manage. And so we do like to have, I don't know, a little, at least clear expectations around the level of involvement on each investor for, from each investor so that the entrepreneur knows what to expect from everyone yep. and how to leverage that network around them. But yeah, we think it's good for the entrepreneur. We think it's good for the ecosystem. Yeah. Um, what about uh, when you consider investments, uh, and you, in, in particular, I'd say when you consider, you know, maybe leading a pre-seed or seed stage deal, what are you, what are you looking for, and is that is that unique? Do you think to this region in terms of how you're looking to fund the the, the best opportunities? Yeah, 
we we learned a lot about this at Techstars and and to steal sort of a heuristic from Techstars that's carried over into our fund is we look at six things in rank order and they are team, 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 market, progress, idea. <laughs> <laughs> I love and it. So it, it's a cheeky way to remind ourselves that at the pre-seed and seed stage, you're largely backing a team and their insights mm -hmm. versus a specific idea or any given amount of progress that they have. And so we really try to hold that hold to that. Um, I will say though that there's a there's a weird nuance there, which I hear from a lot of founders, which is like, okay, you say you back team, 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 but you're asking me for my pitch deck and want to like know about the business. So does that, is there a disconnect there? Because you say you're backing teams, but then you're like really focused on maybe even before taking a meeting, you want to see the pitch deck. And the reality is, is while we're very team driven and team focused, we do, we have learned over time that we have to really like the market and be passionate about the, mm -hmm. the market that they're going into, or else we just find that we're not as effective and helpful if we don't love what, what they're doing and the market they're going into. So it does need to check sort of all of those boxes for us. But the main thing we emphasize is we want to back entrepreneurs who have who have certain attributes and traits. And we're really, at the end of the day, backing a team um, at that stage of investment. Yeah. Well, and, and I think, you know, if, if you look at uh, Matchstick's portfolio, I mean, uh, it's, it's, it's really exciting to see when, when you focus on the people and the team, you get what I, what I see in your portfolio is a lot of diversity, a lot of, you know, really amazing founders um, with diverse backgrounds, diverse experiences. Um, it, can you talk at all about how that is how that is uh, that has evolved in your strategy? Because it's something I think I definitely have have admired about what you do. Just, you, you know, you, you say it and you do it as a, as a firm and as a person. Well, thanks for acknowledging that. Yeah. I mean, we. I would say diversity has has always been a priority for us. It, it became even more of a priority because once George Floyd was murdered in Minneapolis, which is where Ryan, my partner, is based, so in our backyard, you know, a lot of people sort of had this realization moment where it's like, wow, we didn't really understand the inequity in in our culture in general and specifically our industry. And so I think we were always aware of it, but that really, really like forced us to understand it more deeply. And And we did a lot of work around that. At the end of the day, it's not a charity for us to back on diverse entrepreneurs. The it, the data shows that it's a better return on investment and that more diverse teams perform better. So we 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 looked at the data, we understand that data, and so what we've done is really prioritize ensuring that we have diverse deal flow, mm -hmm. and then spending time understanding what is our conscious and unconscious bias in our selection process. And our theory is if we target diverse pools of entrepreneurs and we understand the bias that creeps up in our process, inevitably at the end of the day, we're going to get a diverse portfolio. Mm -hmm. And so the work that we've done to ensure that we have a more diverse portfolio has really been around top of funnel targeting and making sure that there is a diverse, there are diverse pools of entrepreneurs that we're, we're inter interacting with. And, and largely that's resulted in a, a more diverse portfolio and hopefully a portfolio um, that overperforms in the long run. So it's been a priority for us because, I mean, diverse entrepreneurs are our top performers. So let's go support them. Yeah. I, I love the strategy that, that you highlighted too, because it, it's so true. Um, what about, how do you think about uh, specifically get where these companies go after you invest in, in, in terms of the region and how do they get to the milestones where coastal VCs are, or you know, just just more uh, you know, growth stage capital will be attracted to them. Deal any any secrets or tips for 
for founders out there that are working towards those sorts of goals? Yeah, I mean, the good news here is that Series A and Coastal Capital is traveling better than it ever has before. And maybe the biggest benefit that our region had from COVID was, well, there's a lot of benefits, but you had a lot of entrepreneurs moving here. But, you know, probably as important was it, a lot of Series A investors realize that they can invest and and be involved with a company over video or Zoom or whatever it is. And so I, I'm seeing that trend continue. And I think that that is, has been a huge advantage for entrepreneurs in our markets where even two years ago, it was maybe you could raise a seed round, but it was pretty hard to raise later stage capital. It, it's gotten easier because that capital will travel more than it ever has. That being said, I do still feel like the bar is slightly higher for a company in our region because you're competing not only with the best companies on the coast, but also with a partner at a fund who's going to maybe have to travel more than they expected um, or anticipated before. And so maybe the bar is even slightly higher. So what that's shown up for us in terms of helping our portfolio is just really making sure we build good businesses, like mm-hmm. focusing on revenue, focusing on 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 not necessarily profitability, but like good unit economics. Mm-hmm. We want our companies to really stand out when you're looking at a coastal pier, because our view is a lot of stuff that's, that gets a lot of, like the coasts are really good at generating hype. Hopefully we're good at generating a bunch of substance. And so when we want, when our companies go out to raise, we want the, the prevailing thing to be like, well, here comes another Rocky Mountain region company. I'm sure they have really good fundamentals. I'm sure that they're like actually building a real business. And so that to me is more fundable in the long term, no matter what the cycle is, than, you know, whatever the hype is around a company. I do think companies need some hype. And I think that's probably an area where our region could do better is like, we need to hype our companies more and we need our entrepreneurs to hype themselves a little bit more to make sure they're on the radar. But we're really focused on building, you know, high growth, world-class companies that are built on a strong foundation. And I would say that that's what we focus on with our entrepreneurs just to make sure that they stand out when they go meet coastal investors. Yeah, that's, that's great, great advice, you know, getting back to the fundamentals for sure. Uh, what, what about any advice specific to, you know, given, given the current uh, kind of public market downturn and some of the more recent macroeconomic trends that we're seeing, uh, does that change any of the advice you've given or, or, or tweak it in any way specifically to founders in your portfolio in terms of riding out the storm here? Yeah, our view is that access and price of capital has dramatically changed. And so mm-hmm. entrepreneurs need to be much more cash conscious. And that that shows up in a lot of things. One is making sure you're collecting from your customers because your cash in the bank is, is different necessarily than revenue. Second is really ensuring that your spend is smart and efficient because we don't know what the standards are going to be to raise your next round of capital. And those standards were frankly quite low over the last cycle. And so our view is that great companies will always get funded. Over the last cycle, good companies were getting funded. Mediocre companies will sort of always struggle. The problem going forward is that good companies, I think, are going to struggle, at least for the near term. Mm -hmm. And so you really have to ensure that you're in the great category. And the way to do that is to make sure that you have enough time to hit the metrics that a great great company, uh, that, that the great company requires. And so that really is around cash collection, being smart with your spend, cutting if you need to, um, maybe you know not doing quite so many like higher hires in advance of when you actually need them. So just being really smart around that mm-hmm. in this cycle, which is not super different from the advice we kind of always give startups. But I think we it's, I think we've been more. I think I think it matters more now 
um, yeah. to, to do those sorts of things. The nuance though that we've had trouble with is like that, that there's not really a general advice that applies to every company. We have a bunch of companies in our portfolio that are growing great right now. I mean, they're mm-hmm. hitting plan. They're maybe ahead of plan. And so for those companies, we don't feel like maybe that strict sort of like cash conservation mode doesn't make sense because we're investing into a product that's finally starting to work and we want to take advantage of that. But it's just being aware that that next round may be harder to access at a price that you may not want. And hopefully in a, in a scenario, you can avoid adding what's kind of quote unquote called structure, which means that that the next round of VCs add in things like higher liquidation preferences and terms that are more unfavorable to the entrepreneurs and early investors. And so really to avoid those scenarios, you just want to be super smart with your cash. If your business is going well, like let's continue to invest into it and take advantage of the opportunity. If it's not really clearly maybe three Xing year over year, let's be smart about our spend. And so we're kind of taking a nuanced approach with each company, but generally that kind of advice right now in this market. Yeah, that's, I think it's very prudent advice. Um, how are you, how do you think about the future of the region? I mean, obviously you're long on the Northern Rockies, you're long or, or long on the Rockies, long on the Northern United States, um, in terms of entrepreneurship and, and early stage tech companies. But how, how do you think about where are we going? What's, what's in Natty Zola's crystal ball of the future here for, for the region? Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm obviously biased, but I'm super optimistic about the region. I mean, we have, we have shown over the last 15 years, great companies can be built here. Great entrepreneurs are homegrown here. Great entrepreneurs are moving to these regions. We have an amazing lifestyle, great quality of life. You can live anywhere and do big things and accomplish big things. And so I don't know how that stops. I mean, maybe if investors just stop investing outside of the coast, but we'll figure that out. So I just expect that we are going to see these ecosystems continue to deliver and build great companies. We want to attract great entrepreneurs. I would say across the region, we generally have very supportive leadership in in um, in in uh, politics who are supporting these regions. I don't know. I kind of see more of the same. I mean, maybe I'm super biased here, but I, I think we'll just continue to grow. And I don't think we want to become Silicon Valley. I don't think we want to become New York or Boston. I think we want to become a region that's known for for the the entrepreneurs that we back and support and the companies that we build here and we'll do it our own way and we welcome you know great entrepreneurs to come here and hopefully a a lot more of the of homegrown people decide to spin out of whatever company they're at or come out of college and and build a company but you can do it anywhere and we've proven that so let's keep doing it for sure Natty, really, really fun having you on the show today. Um, I want to thank you for taking the time. Are you, on the personal front, is there anything fun you're looking forward to in the next 30 days? Any Anything fun with the family this plan, plan this yes, summer? Yes, I'm, I'm actually going to Italy for my cousin's wedding in two oh, weeks. I wow. Have, I'm a big traveler. I mentioned earlier in the, in the um, podcast that I started a travel company I've been to 54 countries. I love traveling. I think it's so important and special, but I have not left the United States, Canada, or Mexico in seven years because I've been running Techstar. I've been running Matchstick. I have two little kids. We had COVID. It just didn't happen. I'm so pumped to go on a trip. Um, I'm going with my whole family. It's going to be a ton of fun, and I'm looking forward to that. Well, I'm I'm so glad I asked, and I'm so so uh, excited for you to have that that time and that that vacation. Well, well deserved from somebody who has done so much uh, for for Boulder and for the for the tech ecosystem more broadly in Colorado and the northern United States. So, 
thanks, Natty. Why don't you uh, leave us with, can you tell us where our listeners could find out a little bit more about you and Matchstick Ventures online? Yeah, well, thank you so much for hosting me and appreciate everything you're doing in the region. We love collaborating with you. Uh, people can can find me, matchstick.vc is our website. I'm Natty, N-A-T-T-Y at matchstick.vc. I'm on Twitter at Natty Z, N-A-T-T-Y-Z. I'm pretty accessible. You can just Google Natty and Boulder or Natty Zola and you'll find me and would welcome um, you know connecting with anyone in the ecosystem. Thanks, Natty. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Found in the Rockies. You can find links in the show notes or go to foundintherockies.com to get transcripts, links, and contact information for today's guests. If you like what you heard and want more, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to get notified as our new episodes drop every two weeks. We'll see you next time.